I went to a particular high school where in the main auditorium was one wall where there was a list of names of boys and girls who had excelled either on the sports field or academically. And we used to call this the Wall of Fame. And everyone in the school wanted their name to be on that wall. And I knew that I couldn't do it academically, so I tried for it on the sports field. And a friend and myself, every day after school, we would grab our tennis racket and we would head to the tennis courts and we would play tennis for hours because we wanted our names on that wall of fame. Alas, my name never got onto that wall. But it's okay, I'm secure. And um, we have been looking at Hebrews 11, um, which actually is a list of names. And so we've been looking at Noah and Joseph and Moses and Abraham, and we could see it as a wall of fame. These were people that did something and they got their names written in Hebrews 11. But over these last couple of weeks, I've come to realize that these are people that are just like you and me. They're just humans. They have their faults, they have their failures, they have their doubts, and they even have insecurities like you and I have. They are not listed in Hebrews 11 because they had exceptional talents or abilities, or not even because they were exceptionally good in any way or the other. But these names are written in Hebrews 11. They are there because their ordinary lives were touched by a holy God. That is why their names were written in Hebrews 11. Because their ordinary lives were touched by a holy God. So let's read verse 11 and 12. Piet did look at Sarah and Abraham a few weeks ago, but I just want to revisit it. And so we're going to read about Sarah and Abraham and just look a little bit about their lives this morning. So Hebrews 11 verse 11 says this. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, Abraham, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Sarah and Abraham were just ordinary people, but God had a purpose for their lives. God had a plan for them, and that plan was to have a baby called Isaac, and through Isaac, the Israelite nation would develop, and through that nation, the Messiah, the Savior of the world would come. So you had Abraham and Sarah, very ordinary people. God had a plan, and it was God's purpose to bring that plan into being. But as we read in the scripture, Sarah was barren, and it says Abraham was as good as dead. What words to be said over you? You are as good as dead. And so for them, this was impossible. Um, Nick, if you can put up that slide with the names. So in the beginning, Sarah was called 
Sarai, which means princess. And then God gave her a new name, which was Sarah, which meant mother of nations. Abram meant God is exalted, but God wanted to do something in his life where he became Abraham, the father of nations. Now Sarah's barren, Abraham is as good as dead, and this is meant to happen. If you were sitting in a board meeting at work, and you were brainstorming new ideas, and someone came up with this idea, people would say, we don't have the means, we don't have the ability to do what you are proposing, bad idea, and the idea would be sent out the door. Anyone got another idea? That's what would happen in a board meeting, because this is what God was wanting to do, but it was impossible for Sarah and Abraham. How was it going to be possible? So in order to understand what happened here, I want to just take a little detour and have a look at God, and we do that. Store this in the back of your mind, we're going to come back to this. If we were, had to ask people outside there in Zug to complete this sentence, God is dot, dot, dot. If we had to ask them, please complete it, we would get many different answers that would come from that. Some people would say God is loving. God is forgiving. Others would say God is distant. God is angry. You would get all sorts of opinions about who God is. But if we were to ask the angelic beings if we had to ask the angels who live with God 24-7, how would they complete that sentence? This is what they would say to us. And I think they would be the best to ask because they would know. So if we can read Isaiah 6, 1-4, it says this on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, Isaiah gets a vision into heaven. He gets to see what's happening in heaven. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple were filled with smoke. If we had to ask those angels, complete the sentence, God is, they would say, first off, God is holy. Holy, holy. So that was in Isaiah. Let's go to the end to Revelation and read another verse. Revelation 4 verse 8 says this, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. From the first time that Isaiah got a glimpse into heaven, to when John got a glimpse into heaven in Revelations, there was a span of 800 years. And yet, the angels are still saying the same thing. 800 years later, they're still saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
I think if we were to get a glimpse today into heaven, if the heavens had to open and we could see the throne room of God, do you know we would still be hearing the same thing? It hasn't changed. The angels would still be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I used to think the word holy meant morally pure. I thought it meant, you know, if we had to say someone is so holy, it was almost like they were sinless, like they were exceptionally good. That was my understanding of holy, and it was so wrong. The actual word holy means this. It means otherness. Have you ever heard that English word? It's an actual English word, otherness, but you don't hear it too much today. If I had to put it in a sentence, I could say something like, I really appreciated her otherness because she was so different. Okay, so otherness is a word. So when the angels are going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, what they are actually saying to get us to understand is different, different, different is the Lord God Almighty. Because otherness means to be different. You are other than. And so they are looking at the Lord God Almighty and all they can say is otherness, otherness. You are different. You are different. You are different from anything else we know, from anything else we've seen, from anything else we've experienced. You are different. You are different in your love. You are different in kindness. You are different in forgiveness. You're different in justice. You are different in your wisdom. And you're definitely different in your purity. When the angels look at God, all they can say is different, different, different. Uh, Another English word is the word holiday. Holy day, holiday. That's where the word comes from, is holy. It's a holy day, it's a holiday. And a holiday is a day or a period of time that is different from the ordinary. When we see God in his holiness, when we get a greater understanding of how different he is, we see him in his holiness. It brings an awe and it brings a reverence into our lives. And in our worship, we revere him and we walk carefully before a holy God. It's, he's so holy that even mentioning his name should bring a reverence. When we say the word God, it should bring a reverence into our life and a sense of awe. When Jesus was on the earth, his disciples were watching him do miracles, watching him talk, and their curiosity started to rise. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want to pray like you pray. Teach us how to pray. And this is what Jesus said to them. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing Jesus said to his disciples to pray for is that the name of the Lord would be hallowed, would be held holy would be kept holy. Jesus was saying to his disciples, before you pray for bread, before you pray for your own needs, pray that the name of the Lord would be kept holy, would be held holy. 
Pray that God's name is held in the highest esteem. Yet we know that God's name is used so flippantly today and even taken in vain. We hear, oh my God, every single day. We hear Jesus Christ used as a curse word instead of a form of worship. When God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, I want to remind you of what number three said. Number three said this, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Why would God, out of all the rules he could put into place, make that one of the rules? Do not take my name in vain. Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because God is holy. And when we use his name in vain, we make it common. In our daily language, we say, oh my God, you hear people saying Jesus Christ. They're making it common, and they're even making it dirty when they use it as a curse word. And that in God's eyes is very serious because he's holy. So we shouldn't make something holy common. But here's the question. Can something common be made holy? That's the exciting part that I want to chat to you about. Can something common be made holy? In the Bible, there are a few examples of this in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Moses. Moses is in the desert, and the next minute he sees this burning bush, this bush that's on fire, but no one has set it on fire, and it just keeps burning, and it's a symbol of the presence of God. And God starts to speak to Moses. But God says this to Moses, take off your shoes, you standing on holy ground. Why was that ground holy? That ground was just dirt. A few minutes before the bush started to burn, it was just dirt. But because God was there, it was made holy, because he is holy. And God says to Moses, take off your shoes, this ground is holy ground. God made something common, holy. And then you get the story of the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant was the wooden chest in which the Ten Commandments were kept. It was just made out of wood, and it was plated with gold. But it was pretty common. But because it held the Ten Commandments, it was made holy. And so God said to the Israelites, nobody must touch that. And one man thought he knew better than God and touched it, and he fell down dead. Because God had taken something common and he had made it holy. So we see in the Bible examples of something common being made holy. But what made them holy? What makes something sacred, what makes something holy, is the touch of God upon it. Nick, can you put that that screen up? What makes something sacred What makes something holy is the touch of a holy God upon it. When a holy God touches a thing or a person, that thing or that person 
now carries the holiness of God and is set apart to be different. Just like God is other, other, other. When God touches a thing or a, purpose, or a person, it is set apart to be holy and is different. It's set apart for his use in this world. That first scripture that we read in Isaiah, about Isaiah getting a glimpse into heaven and seeing the angelic beings saying, holy, holy, holy. That scripture, if you go home and you read before it, or after that, if you read after that, Isaiah sees the holiness of God and he sees his own unholiness. When we catch a glimpse of how holy God is, we see our own sinfulness and repentance comes. Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people who are unclean. He repented. He said, this is who I am. This is who you are, but this is who I am. It showed his own unholiness. And when he repented, God sent an angel to touch his lips. And Isaiah was made clean and then God set him aside for his purposes and plans. And Isaiah got to be a prophet and got to tell others about the purposes of God. But he first had to have an encounter with a holy God. Back to Sarah and Abraham. If you can put that first um, slide up, Nick, with the names. She was first Sarah, just a princess, but God wanted to make her into a mother of nations. He was just Abram. He knew God was exalted, but nothing more than that. And God wanted to make him into a father of nations. But they were as good as dead. A holy God enters into a covenant with Sarah and Abram. He makes a promise to them. He enters into a relationship with them. He touches their lives and little Isaac is born. The holy touches the common and something amazing happens. Little Isaac is born and Sarah becomes Sarah and Abram becomes Abraham because the holy touched, touched the common. What does this mean for us? I think firstly, this morning is just a reminder to see the holiness of God. To look up, whatever else you think about God or have experienced about God, God wants to remind you this morning that he is holy. And we are to walk carefully before him as we realize that. But it's a reminder that our ordinary lives, you and me, in this century, living in Zug, our ordinary lives with all our doubts, all our fears, all our securities, can be touched by a holy God. Just like happened to Noah in Hebrews 11, happened to Moses, happened to all of those people in Hebrews 11. Humans today, we have the privilege and the opportunity for our common lives to be touched by a holy God because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus. There's no good works involved whatsoever. 
God himself came down to this earth. And because he chose to die on a cross and take our sins upon him, and he rose again, defeating sin and death, when we put our trust in him, when we put our faith in him, a holy God touches common people. And our lives are forever changed. And we are set aside for his purposes. He comes in and he starts to clean us up like he did with Isaiah. And that's a continual work, that cleaning up. Every day he cleans us up. And he touches our unclean lips and our unclean lives. And then he sets us aside to be different as he is different. And he sets us aside for his purposes and his plans. I think it's a real slap in the face of God when his people are not different from the rest of the world. If we catch the the, uh, sense of the holiness of God, we will realize how different we are from the rest of the world. When they look at us, even though we live amongst them and we love them and we invite them into our homes and we go into their homes and we work amongst them, they should be looking and saying, different, different, different. What is different? If the holiness of God has touched our lives. I love this picture I was sharing with the ladies on Friday morning. Um, A good picture for me of what God has done in my life when his holiness touched my commonness is this. When I'm chopping vegetables, so you get your um, board out, and you get your vegetables, and you get out your sharp knife. And we go, you say your celery and your carrots, and you put them on the board, and you go chop, 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 cut, 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 and then with your knife, you set it aside. And then you get the rest, cut, 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 set aside. That is the work of God in our lives. When the holiness of God touches us, he goes, cut, 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 set aside for my purposes and plans. And that's a continual thing that happens in our lives. Up until the day that we meet him, he'll be forever cutting. But we have been set aside to be different for the purposes and the plans of God, just like Sarah and Abraham was. No different. It's just a different purpose that he has for every one of us. This holy touching the common happens on the day of salvation when you first gave your life to Jesus. That's what happened. A holy God touched your life and from then on things were forever different. But it also is a continual thing. A holy God every day wants to touch our lives. As we live in intimacy with him, as we live in a relationship with him, as we're reading the word of God every day, as we are praying every day, as we come to church every Sunday and to all our different meetings, we are living with him. And that's a continual touch of a holy God upon his people. So it is a once and then it is a forever. And I felt this morning that God wanted to touch people's lives again. The holy God wanted to touch common people's lives again this morning. And you might be like Isaiah, where you're so aware of your sin. You're so aware that just this isn't right in my life. And this is a moment where you can ask him to do what he did to Isaiah 
and to touch you and to take away your sin. Repentance can happen here this morning. And you can be made clean. He can do a cut, cut, cut in your life this morning. And as you walk out of this door, you are set aside for the purposes of God. Repentance needs to happen in some of our lives. But maybe in some of your lives, you just want more of God. It's like, Lord, I just want your touch afresh today. I need you, Lord. I live amongst unclean people, and I need you. And I so want to live out your purposes and plans and not my own will for my life. And so this morning, you can just come to this holy God and say, touch me again. Let the holiness of God touch the commonness of our life. 